And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. The Lord who made the promise, the Lord who never breaks his word, a God who can be trusted emphatically said, I will send power upon you. It's not horsepower. It's not a power that's long on muscularity and short on spirituality. It's not a power that comes from man or from man-made government. It's not a power that comes from the church itself, but it's a power that comes from the Almighty God who sits upon the throne. It's something that comes down upon us and dwells us and works through us. For a few moments this morning, I want to talk about what does it mean uh, to be Pentecostal. It amazing me to deserve how many, non how many non Pentecostal people are attempting to define what it means to be Pentecostal. As a matter of fact, a book entitled How to Be Pentecostal Without Speaking in Tongues, which is written by a non Pentecostal believer, defines Pentecostals uh, from an external viewpoint. Uh, the author maintained that certain outward manifestations, certain outward actions uh, that we often do in Pentecostalism, uh, maintains the fact that that's the definition of what a Pentecostal really is. Uh, Paul had a similar problem in the, to the people of Rome. They were trying to figure out what does it mean to really be a Jew. Uh, so the church at Rome was using that same approach, and Paul corrected their thinking by saying, for he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, but he's a Jew which is one inwardly. Uh, so with that being said, to define a Jew, outward circumcision was not a flesh. Uh, the flesh uh, was not sufficient. He said it must be a circumcision within the heart, if you will, uh, in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. By way of comparison, if you will, we would add, it's not the outward ex uh, expression, exuberant expression of worship and shouting praises to God or singing choruses or raising our hands or jumping for joy that constitutes and uh, makes us a Pentecostal. I remind you, there's a lot of people who go to all kinds of churches that can lift their hands and sing choruses and jump and fall out in the Spirit, and that doesn't mean they have a Pentecostal experience. Uh, for that matter, there are a lot of people that can do all of those things I've just mentioned and be as lost as a ball in high weeds. They don't even know the Lord to begin with. Uh, so the outward manifestations of, of, of joy and, and, and jumping and lifting hands, that does not define uh, what a Pentecostal really is. It is the inward experience of being baptized in the Holy Spirit and living the life of the Spirit-filled believer as taught in the Scripture that truly defines what it means uh, to be a Pentecostal. Now the characteristics of a Spirit-filled life today are often absent in the lives of believers who are attending Pentecostal churches because they do not experience that dynamic life uh, within the Holy Spirit. It's not always taught in our churches. It's not always understood in our churches. And more times than not, it's not modeled in our churches uh, what it simply means to be a Pentecostal today. Many, many non-Pentecostal people are coming into our Pentecostal churches today and yet they do not understand what it means to be Pentecostal. Many do not understand the doctrine. Many do not understand the experience. And many do not understand the gifts of the Holy Spirit that operate uh, within the body of Christ for the glory of the Lord. Too many people are attending Pentecostal churches today and they're saying because I go to a Pentecostal church that means I must be Pentecostal. 
Well, friend, a rat can jump in a bag of flour and it will not make it a biscuit. You can join the moose lodge, it will not make you a moose. You can join the Lions Club, it will not make you a lion. And you can attend a Pentecostal church and that will not make you Pentecostal. I believe there is a real, genuine, bona fide experience that comes from the Word of God that glorifies the Lord, that edifies the body of Christ and causes the devil to shake in his boots when we are filled with the Spirit of God and we are not just Pentecostal in doctrine, we're not just Pentecostal in theory, but we are Pentecostal in our experience that's based and founded upon the truth of God's Word. An important function that I have as a pastor, an important function that we all have in a pastoral role is to clearly define and communicate to everyone sitting in the pews what it means to be Pentecostal in the New Testament sense of the word. Uh, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, evidenced by speaking in other tongues as the Spirit of God enables, is a distinct experience that is subsequent to and separate from conversion. I'm here to tell you, friend, there is only one salvation, and yet it is, it is the Holy Spirit that baptizes us into the body of Christ that causes us to become a Christian. But it's Jesus Christ who baptizes the born-again believers in the Holy Spirit of God, and we can have the power and the anointing that the Lord said was rightfully ours. Uh, Jesus said of his experience of being born again when he said, Out of the belly shall flow rivers of living water. That's what it means to be born again. But John said, but this spake he of the Spirit that was to be given after Jesus' resurrection and glorification. Jesus Christ invites every born-again believer to come and to drink, if you will. You shall be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Uh, that, that is not just one isolated work of the Holy Spirit of God. There is one initial baptism in the Holy Spirit, but thank God there are ample refillings of the Spirit day by day, week by week, and hour by hour if you want it. So here's the formula, and that's simply this. We are to thirst, we are to come, we are to drink, and then we are to flow. Amen. That's what it boils down to. We are to thirst, we are to come, we are to drink, and then we are to flow. The problem is, a lot of people in Pentecost are no longer thirsty. Let that sink in. I'm putting on my teacher hat this morning and not a preacher hat, okay? I want to slow down. But they got to keep up too. God love their heart. It is to come. It's to thirst. It is to come. It is to drink. It is to flow. That's the formula. It becomes a lifestyle as we walk and live in the Spirit. Now the Apostle Paul made a statement in 1 Corinthians 12, 13 that gives a further explanation of this truth. For by one Spirit we're all baptized into one body and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. It's clear that we are to drink of the Spirit on a continual basis. Friend, I can say, I'm full of chicken. Well, I may have eaten chicken two weeks ago. That don't mean I'm full of chicken today. If you're going to be full of chicken today, you better eat some chicken today. And there are many people in Pentecostal circles that I was baptized in the Holy Spirit 45 years ago, therefore I'm Pentecostal. Let me tell you, it's not about have you received, are you still flowing? Is it still flowing through you? Does the Spirit of God still have access to every one of us? It's not enough just to drink one time and say I'm done. It's to be thirsty to come back for a refilling over and over and over and over again. 
For that spirit, the Bible lets us know. It's in keeping with the director. The apostle Paul said in Ephesians 5.18, but be filled with the spirit. Uh, the uh, Walmouth translation said, drink deeply of God's spirit. It's not a one-time encounter. Thank God it is a continual overflowing of the spirit of God. That's what happened to the early church. They were filled with the Holy Ghost. They were filled with power. They were filled with peace. They were filled with joy. They were filled with the anointing. They were filled with love and they produced good works. Not because of the day of Pentecost, but because of what the day of Pentecost started for them. They didn't live off of that experience. They continually refilled and refilled. Let me say this as well. You read the Word of God and you'll find that they manifested the fruit of the Spirit on a daily basis as well. Well, that's the introduction. A person is Pentecostal whose theology is built on Scripture. A Pentecostal looks to and leans upon the teaching of the Word of God for a biblical worldview. In the book, Think Like Jesus, George Barna states, and I quote, Only 14% of born-again adults rely on the Bible as their moral compass and believe the moral truth is absolute. End of quote. That's scary. Only 14% of professing Christians believe the Word of God is truth and believe that it directs the morality in which we're to live our lives today. Pentecostals accept the Bible as the Word of God. We believe that it is without error. We believe that it's infallible. We believe that it's inspired. And we believe it's the authoritative rule of faith and for conduct. It is the Word of God and the Word of God only. The Bible is the basis of our Pentecostal theology. We do not base the Bible on our experience. We base our experience upon what the Word of the living God has to say. We firmly uphold the inspiration and the authority of God's Word. If God said it, that settles it, whether you believe it or not. That's the word of the living God. Charles Spurgeon said, We contend for every word of the Bible and believe in the verbal, literal inspiration of the Holy Scripture. Indeed, we believe there can be no other kind of inspiration. If the words are taken from us, the exact meaning of itself lost. End of quote. Bishop J.C. Ryle pointed out the danger of assuming anything less than full inspiration. And I quote, we corrupt the Word of God most dangerously when we throw any doubt on the plenary inspiration of any part of the Holy Scripture. This is not merely corrupting the cup, but the whole fountain. This is not merely corrupting the bucket of living water, but poisoning the entire well. End of quote. In the early ministry of Billy Graham, Billy Graham doubted and struggled with the verbal inspiration of the Word of God. He was questioning, is the Word of God truly inspired? Is it written more of men or is it written by God? And he began to pray, began to seek the face of the Lord, and began to study the Scripture. And he came to the revelation, rightfully so, that the Word of God truly is inspired of Almighty God without error. And he found that the Word of God was like a sword in his hand that was able to do great exploits for the God who himself was able to love. Pentecostals like the Thessalonians have received the Word of God, not as of the Word of men, but as in the truth, the Word of God, which effectively worketh also in you that believe. I thank God I have an experience this morning on the Word. Let me say this. A man with an experience based on the Word of God is not at the mercy of somebody that just has an argument. Let that sink in. Secondly, a person is Pentecostals whose hermeneutic is informed by his evidence or his experience. 
Now, hermeneutics, by definition, means the branch of knowledge that deals with interpretation, especially of the Bible or literary texts. I took hermeneutics in college. I took hermeneutics in seminary. And I taught hermeneutics in college. And quite frankly, I don't like teaching hermeneutics. One of the reasons I didn't like it, I had a few students, and it was from 7 o'clock to 10 o'clock at night. And it was kind of tough to teach, but I did it. Well, that being said, Jesus met an expert of the law who put him on the spot when he tried to uh, ask Jesus concerning something about the Scripture. And Jesus asked two questions. What do the Scriptures say, and how do you interpret them? That is always a rule that we got to go by today. Those are the two questions we always should ask when we are reading the Word of God. What does the Scripture really say, and how do we properly interpret what it says? The Bible cannot mean today what it did not mean when it was written. Amen. You understand that? That's the two qu we must know the Bible, and we must know how to interpret the Bible. So the Pentecostal hermeneutic unashamedly brings the experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit into the interpretation of the Word of God itself. Now, we reject any accusation that Pentecostals are unbiblical because they exegete their own experience rather than the Scripture. Let me say this. To those in the Christian community today that say that the gifts of the Spirit died out with the apostles, they are doing the very same thing that they are accusing Pentecostals of doing, and that is simply this, that they're building their experience not on God's Word, but upon their own worldview that's not scriptural. We don't build our doctrinal experience, we build our experience on doctrine. As Pentecostal believers in this 21st century, this book is not old, it's not outdated, it is not archaic, and thank God we rely upon the Spirit the same way the disciples relied upon the Holy Spirit in the day of the church formation. Luke recorded that Jesus, after his resurrection, opened up their understanding that they might understand the Scripture. And prior to the death of Jesus, he promised that in the absence of the Father, he would send another comforter, the Spirit of truth, who would guide you into all truth. Jesus Christ said, if I go away, I'm going to send you another comforter, one just like me. He's with you, but he shall be in you. He will lead you and guide you and console you and communicate with you and work through you to do great wonders and, and, and great things that will glorify the name of Jesus Christ the Lord. Brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you, Pentecostals believe the Holy Spirit is essential in guidance and illumination necessarily for us to understand the Word of God. And the same Holy Spirit that moved upon holy men of old to write the Word of God is the same Holy Spirit that moves upon us to help us to understand and to rightfully divide the Word of truth. The Bible said they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Now get this. For Pentecostal believers to surrender the interpretation of Scripture to the secularist, to the modernist, to the anti-supernaturalist, those that have no faith, those that have no salvation, those that do not know the baptism of the Holy Spirit, to the religious scholars, if we surrender our Pentecostal doctrine to them, we surrender biblical hermeneutics to unbelievers, we surrender our biblical hermeneutics to the heathen, and we surrender our biblical hermeneutics to people that don't know the author of this book. Did, you, did that sink in? When I went to work on my doctorate, I checked out several schools. And by the way, I'm educated beyond my intelligence, if you don't know that. And then you hear that clearly, I said, I am educated beyond my intelligence, in case you didn't know. 
I went to several schools and I sat down and I talked on the phone. What do you believe? And more times than not, some of our secular universities that had religion or theological degrees, the professors themselves would not have known Jesus had they made him on the sidewalk of the, of the campus. And yet they want to try to explain to me what this says when they don't know the book and don't know the author of the book. They know it from a historical point of view. They know it from uh, uh, some uh, poetry point of view, but they've never met the author. And I remember one, one professor told me, he said, oh, you're going to go to that school. He said, what are you going to learn from that? You can't go nowhere with that, with that degree from that school. You need this prestigious degree from that. I said, let me tell you something, dude. I'll walk out of your school. I don't know the God that you're talking about, but I'm going into the seminary believing that this book is real, authentic, and ever promises for me. And if you want to be religion, stay there. I want the God who gave the book and the power that goes along with it. I mean, I graduated from a prestigious school, but I walked there with the knowledge of who Jesus was and understanding the power of God working in this last day. To ask somebody that don't know the scripture or some religious guy to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit is like asking a blind man to paint a picture of a sunset he's never seen and never will be able to see. The Pentecostal hermeneutic is governed by 2 Timothy 3.16. All scriptures, can you say that? All scripture is given by inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That means the book of Acts is as teachable as are the epistles for we can see what God wants to say. It's a normative experience of the Holy Spirit. In other words, what happened in the book of Acts, what happened in the epistles, we can teach it all because it all lines up with the word of the living God. In Acts 2, 4, all and they were all filled. That's the formula. They were all filled, not just some. Thank God this is the last day. I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. The young, the old, the rich, the poor, the black, the white, the red, the yellow, the male, the female, the young, the old. It don't matter if you're flesh and you love the Lord and you thirst. Guess what? Outpouring of the Holy Ghost of God will be upon you. They're the naysayers that say, oh, it's not for the day. Let me tell you something. If the baptism of the Holy Spirit is of the devil and if it died out uh, with the apostles, then how come the devil didn't let us have it before we ever became a Christian? Amen. He allowed everything else bad to come our way. But I'm going to tell you, this is the word of the living God. Yeah. Pentecostals understand that. Remember, there was a Jewish Pentecost, there was a Gentile Pentecost, and there was a Samaritan Pentecost. You follow me? Ever since Jesus died on the cross, he does not have to die all over again for people to be saved. The blood that was shed then works today. When he outpoured the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost originally, there'll never be another Pentecost just like that. But he's never ceased pouring out his Spirit from that time until now. And he never will until the end of this age. When Peter went to the Gentiles and they, and they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Jews going, well, wait a minute. How can that be? This is all about a Jewish religion. And note what Peter's argument was. He said, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. And second, God gave them the like gift as he did unto us. And Luke noticed that when uh, Peter went to the household of Cornelius, they agreed the Gentiles received the Holy Spirit, for he said, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. And then Peter said, they've received the Holy Ghost just as we did. 
The pattern for the spirit baptism in Acts 2-4 is simple but profound. It involves three, three, three things. Here it is. The infilling of the spirit, the enablement or the utterance through the spirit, and the speaking by the spirit. This infilling of the Holy Spirit precedes speaking in tongues. What do I mean by that? Enablement always accompanies speaking in tongues, and speaking always requires infilling and enablement. If we will provide the mouth and the heart and yield ourselves to Him, it's His enablement. Too many times in Christianity we pray longer, we fast harder, we try to work ourselves up to receive a gift. You don't work yourself up, you just receive the gift. And that's what the Lord wants of us. And how you yield, preacher? If I could teach you and teach me how to yield, I'd be the most sought after man in all of America. Teaching someone how to yield. In filling speaks of the coming of the Spirit in the fullness and empowerment. Upon the believer, he said he would do. The Holy Spirit comes upon the believer. And then we find that enablement speaks of the Spirit's ability to provide a means of vocal expression, a language that we've never been taught, a language we may not know. But as the Holy Spirit comes upon us and we simply yield to what we sense coming up, well, I'm afraid it'll be of the devil. If your Father, being evil, knew how to good, good gifts, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? If we think the Holy Spirit, or if we think God's going to allow an evil spirit to take over, we don't have a lot of trust for our Heavenly Father. If we're under the blood, we're arduously seeking the face of God. We want to fulfill the will of God. We want His promises to be fulfilled in our life. If we simply yield to that, He is going to allow the Holy Spirit to do His job. And here's where the problem comes in. We want to control what we're trying to say. We've got to bypass our mind and just really put the brain in neutral in many respects and let the Holy Spirit take over. That does not mean that we don't know what's happening. That does not mean that we cannot control. What that means is that we're learning to yield, not to try to, 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 try to bring the Holy Spirit in, mind with our, uh, in line with our mind, but to allow Him to take over it all. That's yielding to Him. And then speaking refers to the believer's full surrender of the experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Oh, if I could teach you to yield. If I could teach me to yield. Fourthly, a Pentecostal person whose ministry depends on the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. That's what it means to be Pentecostal. We understand the Spirit baptism is not just that we speak in tongues. Jesus Christ did not baptize us in the Holy Spirit just so we could speak in tongues. In Pentecostal circles, we have, we have so emphasized tongues that we forgot what Pentecost is all about. Pentecost has always been and has always will be about a harvest. Amen. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall receive power to speak in tongues. No, power to witness. Power to go out into this world, into the darkness. Let me tell you, friend, this is a dark, dark, dismal world in which we live. But the Bible said of Jesus how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power and went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. When Jesus Christ died and rose from the grave, Dave, when he died and rose from the grave, Jesus went back to the right hand of God the Father. Jesus went up, the Holy Ghost came down, and the disciples went out with a powerful message for the message in which we lived. Just as Jesus had an anointing upon him, when Jesus came to this earth, he did not do one miracle until he received the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. 
And then after he received the infilling of the Holy Spirit, he was led of the Spirit of God into the wilderness, there to be tested of the devil for 40 days. And he came out of that, of that wilderness empowered. And there what happened? The captives were set free. The blind could see, the deaf could hear, the lame could walk, the mute could talk. Demons were cast out. Lepers were cleansed. And funerals were turned into resurrection parades, all because of the anointing of the Spirit of God. By the same token, the disciples were scared to death after Jesus rose from the grave. They didn't know what to do. They were hiding behind closed doors. But they heard the message, tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued. And they were there for the 10 days. And the power of God came down. And the works that Jesus did, these disciples did the very same works. And they went out, and again, the gifts of the Spirit operated. The power of God was manifested. Demons were cast out. Blind eyes were opened. Death ears were unstopped. The list goes on and on. The works that I do shall you do, and greater works shall you do, because I go back to my Father. Jesus could be at only one place at one time. But because of the church and the precious Holy Spirit of God, the same Holy Ghost that works through you and me here, works through Diane in China, works through somebody else in Africa, and works down the street right where you live. Friend, do not limit what God desires to do. Be full of the Holy Ghost of God and be Pentecostal, not just in doctrine, but in experience that's based upon the Word of God. Amen. The church has been equipped through the Spirit baptism with the gifts and ministry of the Spirit to counter and recounter the works of darkness and this large scale in which we live. Why? Because Jesus is alive. Jesus ever lives to make intercession for the saints of God. In the last day will be perilous times which will mean demonic spiritual activity. And rather than being scared to death of the devil, I think the devil ought to be scared to death of spirit-filled believer. There's a lot of people trying to mimic Pentecost. And just as the man tried to cast out the demons, the sons of Sceva, and the demons said, Peter, Paul I know, and Jesus I know, but who are you? And tore him up. I'm not going to go before any demonic power in my name or my experience or my education or lack thereof or the name of my church. But like David of old, you come against me with swords and spears, but I come against you in the name of the Lord God of hosts. And when that anointing of the Holy Ghost is on the inside, when the quickening of the Holy Spirit is working through us, rather than us trembling in the sight of the devil, I believe the devil can tremble in the sight of the child of God. The Bible said Jesus was full of the Holy Ghost and led of the Spirit to confront the devil. His victory over Satan was accomplished through the Holy Spirit. His preaching was powerful. His ministry was powerful. And the world we minister into is in the same sad, broken, bound up condition today. People in prison, people blind, people oppressed, uh, people in need of a jubilee, a day of release. Friend, we have the key to set the captive free. We don't just need to give visitation rights. We can go and burst out the prison house where people are living in bondage even today. What does it mean to be Pentecostal? It means allowing Jesus to carry out his heavenly ministry in us and through the promised gift of the Holy Spirit. It means being allowed to participate through the Holy Spirit in the purpose for which the Son of God manifests that he might destroy the works of the devil. It means being empowered by the Holy Spirit to exercise the Pentecostal gifts and the ministries that come along with Pentecost. When we see how God has blessed and used the Pentecostal movement since the turn of the 20th century, we should be grateful that Jesus has given us 
a privilege Amen. and a promise Amen. and a part of being in this great Pentecostal church. I am unapologetically a Christian. I am unapologetically a Pentecostal Christian. Amen. And as such, I, I'm made to understand, and I will say it again, we are guardians of the past. We have been handed a baton of Pentecostal doctrine and experience. We better guard it because we're keepers of the present. And with that being said, brothers and sisters, I'm afraid we're laying the baton down of what we've inherited and been given and we picked up something new and we're rattling our sabers and yet there's no power with it, no authority with it. But not only are we keepers of the past and guardians of the present, but we're architects to the future. What kind of a church are we leaving to the next generation should the Lord delay his coming? Think about it. If only 14%, George Barnes said, believes the professing Christians get their morals from the word of God today, what's it gonna be like in the next generation? It's not enough for us to say, I go to a Pentecostal church and I, I believe the Pentecostal doctrine. May God help us live the Pentecostal life that'll put a hunger and a thirst in our children and our teenagers and our young adults to want more than a religion they can use when they can have a relationship with a Lord who wants to give us more. And finally, a Pentecostal is a person whose, whose discipleship is modeled after the early church. The followers of Jesus Christ were first disciples before they became apostles. It was from following him that said, take up my yoke and learn of me, that they became fishers of men. And then Luke said, they, the 3,000, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Pentecostals have experienced an endowment of power for life, just as Jesus Christ said we could and we should and we must have. They also found, as the Simmons of God's statement of fundamental truth say, with a baptism in the Holy Ghost come such experiences as an overflowing fullness of the Spirit, a deepened reverence for God, an intensified consecration to God and dedication to His work, and more active love for Jesus Christ, for His Word, and for the lost." End of quote. These are the traits of a New Testament Spirit-filled Pentecostal believer. The believer's thought process are bypassed, allowing the speaking to issue from the mind of the Holy Spirit. We, like the early church, need to give God our time, our talent, and our treasury, and yield our tongue to the Holy Spirit himself. Amen. Notice, if you will, a mark of the early church was their commitment to truth. Did you hear that? They were committed to truth. Today, truth is relative. But when it comes to the things of God, truth is essential. And we don't pick and choose what we want to believe and discard the rest. This is the truth and the integrity of the Word of God. Amen. We believe it to be wise. We read it to be safe. We practice it in order to be holy. And yet we understand a mark of the early church was their commitment to truth. To maintain purity of the truth, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. A great concern of Pentecostals today is to be true, to be true to the truth of God's Word. 
And we recognize the Old Testament, we recognize the New Testament as being inspired of, the, of God. I believe what the Old Testament says, I believe what the New Testament says, and I believe that what Jesus Christ said, and He is the chief cornerstone of the church. Brothers and sisters, Pentecostals reject false teaching that declare that the Bible is old, outdated, and antiquated. I said we reject that. We also reject those who declare the church has received new revelations. There are no new revelations. The revelation is complete. And yet there's a lot of teaching in Pentecost, charismatic circus, circus, circles, sometimes it is a circus. I received a new revelation. If it's new, it's not true. If it's true, it's not new. Well, I'm a little deeper than you, preacher. You might be a little deeper, but you can be deeply wrong. Why? There, the revelation is complete. It's here. It's done. It's all. You know, that God has. He's given everything He wants us to know. There, there is illumination on the revelation He's given us. That's understandable. But all new illumination to the revelation cannot violate the book. Stay in the pages of the book. Amen. Like the early church, Pentecostals seek to congregate around the person of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to build fellowship with each other and stay in the Word, stay in the doctrine, stay in the integrity of God's Word, stay with His commands, stay with His ordinance and the instruction of the apostles and the prophets. Friend, it's not the new things that I want to see and hear. I want to know how to do what He's already said. It's not the things that I don't know that bothers me. What bothers me is the things I do know and I'm having difficulty living up to. How about you? I close with this. Luke used the word with one accord in Acts 2.46 over a dozen times. Almost a dozen times in one accord. Think about it. Luke in the book of Acts in one accord, in one accord, almost a dozen times. It speaks of a close relationship the disciples had with each other and with the Lord Jesus Christ. If we stay in communion with the Lord through prayer, if we stay in communion with the Lord through His Word, if we stay in communion with the household of God by church services and letting what we hear sink into the mellow of our hearts and minds, we will grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. The accord came through the presence of the Holy Spirit as they met continually in the temple. They worshiped, they prayed, they preached to the masses, and they met from house to house. They partook of the Lord's Supper, they disciples believers, new believers, through the teaching of the Word of God, through mentoring. So in the final analysis, Pentecostals seek to replicate and to emulate the discipleship model even today. I am grateful for Pentecostal doctrine. But church is not enough to say I'm Pentecostal because I go to the Pentecostal church. Let the doctrine be experienced in your life and mine. The world is in bad shape, and you've heard me say it a thousand times, I'm sure. The world at its worst needs the church at its best. And the only way we can be our best, be ye filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Not a one-time ordeal. There's only one baptism of the Holy Spirit, but there are many, 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 many refillings on a day-by-day -day basis. We can